0: The following podcast contains explicit content and is not suitable for all listeners. Women who become victims of sexual assault are at a much higher risk than other women of being victimized again. Research has suggested that psychological processes initiated by sexual victimization, especially in childhood and adolescence, result in behaviors that can increase victims' exposure to potential offenders and make them more vulnerable to the tactics of the offenders they encounter. On September 1, 2020, a 32-year-old woman went missing after a night out with a few friends in Exeter in England. After she didn't return home, her family became concerned and contacted police as she was a type 1 diabetic and needed insulin injections daily. Upon checking CCTV footage, the police discovered a strange man had followed her for some time as she walked home before approaching her and eventually persuading her up to his flat. After just one week, he was arrested and charged with her murder. This is the story of Lorraine Cox. Lorraine Cox grew up in Exeter with her family. I tried to find out more about her childhood and upbringing, but sadly, most of what I found focused on the gruesome details of the case and not on her as a person. I know her family has wanted to stay private during these times and to focus on the positive initiatives that have stemmed from her murder, which is completely understandable. As much as I want to share about the women that these crimes happened to and want them to be remembered for more than their murders, I definitely understand the family wanting to distance themselves from the crime, have some privacy, or just hold on to their memories and keep them close to their hearts. There is no wrong way to grieve. What I do know is that she was described as a, quote, happy, smiling, beautiful woman, end quote, and that she had an infectious laugh and a warmth to her with a very caring heart. She is remembered by her family as, quote, the most kind-hearted, loving, generous girl, end quote, and that she was, quote, the heartbeat of our family, end quote. This case was actually suggested to me by a listener who lives in Exeter, and after I I covered the story of Sarah Everard in episode 26, she asked if I would cover Lorraine's case too. Exeter is a small and sleepy city in the county of Devon in southwest England, and has an estimated population of 131,405 as of 2019. This tragedy deeply impacted the city and the women and young girls that live there. So much so that a Safer Streets campaign initiative was launched to help the community feel more secure in their own city. I have said it before and I will say it again. All women have the right to walk home at night, intoxicated or not, and arrive home safely. No woman should die trying to walk home. Lorraine, while born and raised in Exeter, to my knowledge, had met a woman named Elise Fallow in 2018, and the two hit it off immediately, fell in love, and became engaged. The two moved in together in Exeter, but eventually decided to move to Scotland in 2019. Also in May of 2018, Lorraine was sexually assaulted by a man named Robert Prout, He was sentenced to 10 years in prison after being found guilty of lorraine's assault and the rape of another woman i don't know if lorraine knew elise prior to the assault but the move to scotland was to distance herself from the assault however when the pandemic hit it became a struggle for lorraine and she missed her family and friends so on august 14th 2020 she went home to exeter reports say that she moved home but I am not sure if this was meant to be a permanent move or not, or if Elise was going to return too. Maybe that part wasn't figured out yet between them. On the evening of August 31st, Lorraine went out with some friends to the Quay and the Arcade Pub and had some drinks. The Exeter Quay is a historic area along the River X, which attracts locals and visitors for its quaint scenery, restaurants, pubs, and vibrant arts scene. She was quite intoxicated as she started to make her way home in the early morning hours of September 1st. She walked along a route heading home through the streets of Exeter, which, looking at the footage the police recovered, was very quiet with only a couple people being seen in the background. In England, and elsewhere I'm sure, there is CCTV cameras all over different cities that almost blanket the city, making it easier to see what happened in cases like this. In Toronto, Canada, where I live, there are cameras, but not to the extent as it is in England, at least to my knowledge. But these cameras became an instrumental part in Lorraine's case because they captured her murderer. A man named Azam Mangori, is seen on the camera footage following Lorraine for a long distance. One article said close to a mile or 1.6 kilometers. He travels behind her, keeping pace but far enough back that she doesn't spot him. Eventually, he makes his move and approaches Lorraine. The two speak for a moment and begin walking together. At some point, the footage shows Azam holding on to Lorraine, like he's guiding her a bit, but not aggressively. She had been seen wobbling a bit as she walked but not an excessive amount prior to their interaction. But with him, she seems to be more unsteady on her feet, even sort of falling into him at one point. As it is with drinking, sometimes it hits you more as some time passes, so maybe she was feeling okay as she started home, but got more unsteady as the alcohol began taking more effect. He ended up guiding her back to his apartment, or flat as they call it, which was over a kebab shop on 4th Street in Exeter, and the two went inside. What actually occurred following the walk home is somewhat unclear. There is Azam's version of events and what the police theorize, but what we do know is that Lorraine Cox was never seen alive again. I'd like to take this moment to thank you for listening to my podcast the concept behind femicide is very close to my heart, and I hope through these stories we can shed a light on the abuse, violence, and sexual assault that women face daily. This podcast is 100% a woman-run operation. I write, record, and edit every single episode myself. As I mentioned, I have recently brought on someone to help with research on some upcoming episodes to help me out and to help continue to share these important stories. But as in today's case, I do also research most episodes myself. To help support me and my efforts, I have started a Patreon account. If you aren't familiar with Patreon, it is a membership-based platform designed to allow fans to support and connect with their favorite creators. Sign up today online at patreon.com or via the Patreon app. I will leave a link in the show notes of this episode. As always, I will be donating 10% of all gifts received and memberships each month to various charities that help support women. The charity I will be donating to for the month of May 2022 is the Canadian Women's Foundation. Quote, The Canadian Women's Foundation is a national leader in the movement for gender equality in Canada. Through funding, research, advocacy, and knowledge sharing, we work to achieve systemic change, end quote. In honor of Lorraine, I will also be putting a link to the Devon Rape Crisis and Sexual Abuse Services, the charity that Lorraine's family is campaigning for and that Lorraine would want to support. Even if you don't live in England, I encourage you to donate and to help keep Lorraine's memory alive. Gifts, while deeply appreciated, are not the only way you can show support. It would mean a lot if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review, as it really helps to bring awareness to these stories. And please don't forget to share with your friends and families, because word of mouth is the best review of all. There is a video that Azam recorded of a, quote, sexual interaction that he and Lorraine had on the way back to his flat that night. I can't find a lot of details on this, only that he claims to have recorded it, quote, just in case anything went wrong, end quote. I guess implying if she would have claimed it to not be consensual. That said, she was clearly intoxicated and not in her right state of mind, so any sexual interactions were assault in my books. If a woman cannot stand on her own, she cannot give consent. He claims to have had sex with Lorraine twice once they were back in the apartment, and that they both drank shots of alcohol. He then says that she pulled out a dark substance wrapped in a tin foil, and put a lighter under it and inhaled the fumes. He said that he had some too, but it made him feel weird and he passed out. He claims to have woken up to her on the bathroom floor, unconscious, with a puddle of urine beside her. He then claims he tried to perform CPR, but gave up once he realized he didn't know what he was doing. He says he panicked in the situation and didn't want to be blamed for her death or deported, as he had sought asylum in England from Iraq in 2018. That application was denied, and as I gather, he was staying illegally in the country. He previously lived in Stoke on Trent, which is about three and a half hours north of Exeter, and he'd only been living in the city since 2020. The police, however, paint a very different picture. Azam was a predator. He sought out someone he could harm that night. He followed her, and he took advantage of her intoxicated state. His computer search history prior to the murder shows his interest in dismemberment, and after she died, he filmed himself vaping and sitting on his bed with Lorraine's deceased body beside him. He claimed this was, quote, to cheer him up and get him out of the depression, end quote not the actions of a panicked man, if you ask me. And the police agreed. Lorraine's cause of death could not be determined due to the state of her remains, but a t-shirt was found stuffed into her mouth, making the coroner theorize that asphyxiation was the cause. Azam claims he saw bugs or, quote, weird creatures, end quote, escaping her mouth and shoved the clothing in there to stop them a story that changed to it being liquid once it was determined that if he did see bugs, it was from hallucination, not from it being actual bugs. If he did try to shove the t-shirt in her mouth to stop anything from escaping, it would have compromised her airway. So if she was alive prior to this, the t-shirt would have killed her. But what happened following her death leaves no room for misunderstanding or alternative theories. Azam broke into Lorraine's Facebook account and left a series of peculiar posts saying she was moving to Plymouth, a city about an hour south of Exeter. He even sent Lorraine's fiancé a middle finger emoji after she wouldn't stop calling Lorraine's phone looking for her. By this point, Lorraine's family and friends had notified police and were extremely worried about what might have happened to Lorraine, especially since she was a diabetic and did not have her supplies with her. Police began looking at the CCTV footage and tracked Lorraine's movements, eventually seeing her interaction with Azam, and they began looking for him. Azam kept Lorraine's body in his apartment for almost a week before dismembering her body and disposing of the parts, and going as far as to remove her diabetic tattoo, so identification would be harder. As I said, he had looked up how to do this prior to meeting her that night, and police believed he had sexual motivation for prosthetics, amputation, and dismemberment. He claims to have disassociated from the dismemberment, and refers to it as he was cutting up, quote, wet tobacco, end quote, which personally makes me sick to my stomach to think of. Her remains were found in the alleyway behind Azam's flat, as well as a forested area about 15 to 20 minutes from the apartment. He apparently took a taxi as he disposed of the remains, which just makes me sick too. If I were the taxi driver, that would haunt me. Azam was caught and arrested on September 8, 2020. At trial, Azam's lawyers painted a picture of a scared man who acted out of fear and panic, but the prosecution countered all those statements. They had tried to argue Lorraine had drugs in her system and died of an overdose, but I read two different statements on this one stating that she had no drugs present in her autopsy, but then I read at trial, a small amount of ketamine was found in her system. While it was not enough to overdose, it could not be determined, if mixed with alcohol, how her body would have reacted. But regardless of her cause of death, his actions before and after are atrocious and clearly show the actions of a murderer. He went out looking for someone, preyed on an intoxicated woman walking home alone, followed her, and took advantage of her, and did everything he could to hide his crime, while also posting a video seemingly praising his crime. He also lied upon his arrest, giving the name Christopher Mayer and claiming to be homeless and gay, before eventually admitting to his bisexuality upon the discovery of the, quote, sexual encounter video. He knowingly and deliberately lied to police and hid her death. He also claimed he debated fleeing the city, but if he were in a real panic, he probably would have. He wouldn't have bought supplies to dismember her body and an air purifier to help with the odor. He wouldn't have made the effort to travel 20 minutes away to dispose of her remains and communicate with her family, posing as Lorraine. Those are the actions of a killer, of a malicious and calculated murderer. The jury agreed, and on April 7th, 2021, just five weeks after his trial began, and just seven months after his heinous crime, Azam Mengori was found guilty and sentenced to a minimum of 20 years. Her family has since started a Safer Streets campaign in Exeter and has hosted a 13-kilometer memorial walk in honor of Lorraine. The campaign raised 7,500 pounds, with many of the funds going to the Devon Rape Crisis and Sexual Abuse Services. Again, I'll leave a link in the show notes of this episode if you wish to donate. Her father, Tony, stating, quote, the loss of my daughter has affected our family brutally. She was the heartbeat of our family, and she would want us to do this to get change. We are going to walk that street because it was Lorraine's street. It's where everybody knew her. She was much loved. End quote. After the trial, her family also stated, quote, we hope and pray that no other woman or family has to go through what our beautiful girl suffered, or that any other family suffers the brutal, distressing experience we have all been through, End quote. Her fiancé Elise stating, quote, The murder of Lorraine is something I will never recover from. Every day I think about things that will never happen again. We'll never kiss and cuddle and hold hands. We'll never explore the countryside together. I'll never see her smile or hear her infectious laugh. I'll never feel her warmth or her love. Although I know she is gone, there is always a small piece of me which thinks she will walk through the door to greet me. It is a constant battle to keep my head above water. Every breath I take hurts. My heart is broken, never to be repaired." Lorraine's family's despair is gut-wrenching, and my heart goes out to them. And my heart breaks for Lorraine, who endured so much, and who just wanted to move on from her assault, have a family with Elise, be a mother, who deserved to be able to live her life, and whose life was instead taken by a monster. Thank you for listening to the story of Lorraine Cox. I'm your host, Sean Marie. Join me next time for another story.